If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter nine. We're gonna dive in and Ron's gonna lead us through an amazing teach this morning. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, you guys. Um, so I'm extra shiny today. Because three days ago, I took a walk outside for like three and a half minutes, which for me is long enough to get an excruciating sunburn. Now, three days later, what begins to happen, much like a a reptile, you you begin to shed skin, which is a lovely thing to wake up on a morning where where you know you're going to be in front of other people and uh, be peeling off at least six layers of your, your skin. So I went for this like industrial sort of lotion, which is really more like a, a grease. <laughs> and uh, it seems to have solved the, the peeling um, and then complicated the fact that now I'm, I'm greasy and glowing. So um, we are, I'm glowing, thank you. Yeah, very much. Um, coincidentally, we're talking about the transfiguration today. <laughs> really, no joke. I, I, this was this obviously the Lord like made me glow for a reason, and then now it gets to be used as an object lesson, which is just fantastic. So, um, if you're not familiar with what the transfiguration is, that's okay. Today we're going to lean into it. It's one of those moments in Scripture with Jesus that's so incredibly powerful and yet odd at the same time, that either we don't quite know what to do with, or we've heard about it, but kind of skip past it. I'm thankful as a church to be able to walk through the gospel of Mark. That happens to be where we are today. So like Jeremy said, Mark chapter nine is where we're going to end up today. Here's what I'm hoping for every single one of us here today. Could you and I develop an ability to have what what I would call today as a long look? I would love as followers of Jesus if we could develop an ability to have a long look, in particular at Jesus and what he's up to. And when I say long look, I mean both distance and time. Lord, would you develop in me an ability to have a long look at your face for a really long period of time? Would it never get old for me to relate to you, look at you in your word, relate to you in prayer, in worship? Lord, develop in me an ability to look at you, not just for five minutes, But all day long, what's that look like to develop a long look at Jesus? And then what does it look like to have a long look over a long distance, a long period of time? Jesus, what are you up to? Not just today. Jesus, what are you up to? Not just a couple of weeks or even a couple of months from now. But Jesus, what are you up to? I mean, super long term. Where are things headed? Where are you taking things? Lord, would you give me an ability to have a long look way down the road? Not just look down another week or another month, but Lord, decades from now. What are you doing? 
And how might today play into the big picture of where I know you're taking things? You guys, every single one of us has had moments where we've been invited into a moment, an opportunity, a relationship, a business venture, where somebody has come and said, hey, would you join me on this? Would you partner with me on this? Would you go the journey with me on this? And when we have those opportunities, it's really, really difficult to want to trust someone that's inviting you in. It's difficult to know whether you should say yes if you don't know the person very well who's inviting you in, right? Or if you maybe know the person a little bit, but you don't know where the relationship is headed. You you don't know uh, where the organization is going, you don't know what the business venture is really all about. Well, then it's, it's difficult to hang in there if you don't know the person or you don't know where it's going. But I tell you this, when you do know the person, when you do know where things are headed, you can get through almost anything. And you cannot just get through it. I'm convinced that you could get excited about it. And I think that's the core of what is on this wall behind me here. Trust Jesus no matter the moment. See, it's very, very core to what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to learn that ability to trust Jesus in every aspect of our life, any given moment of any given day. But I also know that if I don't know Jesus very well, it's going to be very difficult for me to trust Jesus, especially in every single moment. And when I, when I know where Jesus is headed, when, when, I, when I know what Jesus is up to, not just next week, but like long term, I can trust him even more. I don't need to make sense so much of today when I know he's going to make sense of it years and years from now. And this story from Mark chapter 9 and the transfiguration in general covers all of that ground and more. It allows us, just like I think it was allowing the disciples in this moment with Jesus that we're going to study today, It allows us to to really develop an understanding greater of who Jesus is and where things are headed. See, they were in a moment where they needed real, honest-to-goodness confirmation of who Jesus is. And they also really needed to be convinced of where things were headed, not just a couple of weeks from then, but long-term. And it's crazy, you guys, because where the transfiguration is positioned in the account here in Scripture, it is positioned right between two conversations that Jesus has about suffering. The story of Jesus being transfigured, glorified, shows up right between a conversation about the fact that he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die. The cross is part of the plan. 
And yet in the middle of getting a word like that, see, the disciples have just realized Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus says, great, I'm glad that you picked up on that. Then he says, I've got to suffer and I've got to die. Wait, wait, Jesus, that didn't make sense right there. Because you said you're the Savior, you're the Messiah, you're the rescue. You're here now. How does the Savior die? How does the rescue go through suffering? We've been suffering, and you're here to put an end to the suffering. And he says, no, hang on a minute. Let me just not have a conversation that's going to be important for you and encourage you. Let me show you something that's going to encourage you and strengthen you. Because Jesus also said, hey, I've got to suffer, but he's just finished saying, if anyone wants to be my disciple, then here's what it means for you too. You're going to take up your cross and you're going to deny yourself and you're going to follow me. Jesus isn't the only one who's going to have to experience some hardship and some challenge and some suffering. And so, my goodness, the strength that you and I can have from coming to an understanding of who Jesus is based on what we see in this passage here and what he says, what he's up to down the road, I hope it'll be an encouragement to you. Some of you might be in the midst right now of something really awful. You, you might be going through a really challenging season in particular today. Those of you that aren't, get ready. You just wait a couple of weeks and there'll be something else that'll come up. Our country is in a challenging place. Our world is in a challenging place. But what the transfiguration tells me is that the challenging places is not all that there is. There's more. There's more. Mark chapter 9, let's take a look at it here. Verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transformed in front of them, Jesus was. And his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Okay, here's the transformation. Here's the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus grabs a couple of his closest friends and disciples, three of them in fact, Peter, James, and John. They go up to a nearby mountain. We don't know what mountain it was. But they were in Caesarea Philippi, which is kind of the northern region of Israel. Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon is within walking distance. And the elevation, the top of Mount Hermon is like over 9,000 feet. So it would have been a good walk. It would have been a good place to get away. They get up together and they... they Look up, and, and, and Jesus, they're, they're, they're down kind of in a little bit lower area praying and uh, sleeping, if you read Luke's account and Matthew's account. And then uh, eventually they get their attention caught. They look up. Jesus is now glowing. The appearance of his face is radically changed. There's an account in Matthew, an account of Luke, that you should go look at. 
One of them talks about his face shining like the sun. I mean, it is this brilliant glow. Mark gives us the lame version. Oh, there was, you know, no, no launderer could bleach anything that white. Okay, well, thanks, Mark. So, but they look up and it's, it's stunning. Now, a couple of keys to understand what's going on here in the transfiguration. In the Old Testament, any time that the presence of God or the glory of God showed up, when the glory of God showed up in the Old Testament, there was blazing fire, there was bright light, there was a big cloud, there was oftentimes fire inside of a cloud. And all throughout the Old Testament, when the glory of God, presence of God shows up, then here's this light, here's this cloud, here's the fire inside the cloud. And so now, Peter, James, and John, Jewish men that would have been familiar with the Old Testament and familiar with their own history, instantly make the connection when they see Jesus and he is being transfigured in this manner, it's instantaneous connection. The presence of God, the glory of God is right here in the face of our Jesus. Instant connection. There's, there's this issue too that there's Peter, James, and John that Jesus has brought with him. This is also something for, that's important to understand this because throughout the Old Testament as well and even the New Testament, whenever there was a matter that was being disputed, whenever there was cause to need to confirm or affirm something, whenever there was reason to need real validation uh, that something was true, maybe it was a court case, maybe it was a conversation about what you'd seen somebody else do, you name it, whenever you needed honest validation about something, old and all the way through the New Testament required the presence of two to three witnesses. And where you had two to three witnesses, it gave legal testimony or validation that what you saw taking place actually happened. I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus took two to three of his disciples up there. As he goes up, now they were eyewitnesses to be able to testify legally to what they were seeing take place in Jesus. I'll also tell you, we'll see here in just a minute, that we actually get double validation. It's not just Peter, James, and John that are going to be able to testify to validate that Jesus has the very presence of God radiating out of him. They're not going to be the only ones that can testify that Jesus is very nature God. Now, I love that, that we do get the description that Jesus was a dazzling white, that he's shining like the sun. I mean, it's this absolute radiance that's really unparalleled. You know, in the Old Testament, Moses, Moses would go up and interact with the presence of God or the glory of God. And when he did, what would happen to his face? He'd start to glow. 
There's something about being around the glory of God in that capacity that just has actual effect on me and you. And yet for Moses, he would come down and, and as radiant as he could be, having been in the glory and the presence of God, all he had to do was, to hide it was put a veil over his face. And he'd do that so that people couldn't see when the glory started to fade. So he could hide the glory of God with a veil. Not Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't just in the presence of God, Jesus was very nature God. And there was no veil that was going to hide that sort of thing. There was no veil that was going to prohibit that. And so in this particular moment, there's a couple pretty powerful things that are going on in the transfiguration that Peter, James, and John are witness to. Jesus is pulling back. It's like he's pulling back the veil of his humanity so that his divinity could just radiate out. Now that enough would be so powerful because what? These guys were so close to him and he's just told them, I need to go suffer. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. Yes, I'm going to rise again three days later, but there is a plan in place here that's going to get worse before it gets better. And he knew that these guys needed to really, truly know who he is. They were going to watch their Jesus suffer. And then they were going to have to pick up a journey that wasn't always going to be easy. And when you're invited into something and you don't really know who you're following, man, good luck. But when you know, and in this case, when you know who you're following isn't just some guy, he's not just some miracle worker, he's not just a good teacher, but he's very nature God, I think that gets you through the challenging suffering ahead. That, that would be enough. He's affirming who he really is for them. Second, though, He's also a preview of what you and I are going to be like someday in our glorified state. In other words, he's not just telling them who he is. He's also pointing a picture down the road saying, hey, way down the road, you're getting a little glimpse of what you're going to be like. Now, we're not going to be God. We're not going to be little gods but we are going to have glorified bodies. Now, I'm glorified today for altogether different reasons. And that's not even, the glow isn't even the special part about it. It's the fully regenerated sort of thing that God has in store for me and you. I, I want to share, God uses so much in Scripture in repetition to emphasize things he doesn't want us to miss. And in the scriptures, certain passages will have repetition to, to hammer home something. But then when there's stuff that happens throughout the whole of scripture, that should really get on our radar. Because in this, the, the, the transfiguration in some way, shape, or form is showing up all over the place in scripture, Old and New Testament. There must be something to God wanting us to know who he really is. 
and what he's really got for us down the road, what his big macro plan is. And so 2 Corinthians um, chapter 3 Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'd encourage you to read all the way from 7, verse 7 through 18 sometime this week, but today I'll just read you verse 18. Listen to the connection here. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so there's still part of this plan that he's renewing some of the glory that sin has taken from us. And and he's transforming us more and more into the image of his Son. And then someday it'll be the full-blown glorified dose that's just Phenomenal. I mean, it's mind-bending. You skip down to chapter 4, verse 6. Look at this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You really want to understand and see and experience, taste the glory of God? Look at the face of Jesus. And he's, he's revealed so much of what he's like in his word to us in that regard. You look at the face of Jesus and you're seeing the glory, the presence of God himself. And the disciples had a front row shot to that whole experience. I mean, just, just phenomenal, a transformative sort of experience. Look at verse 4. They've just seen this transfiguration takes place. It gets better. Elijah appeared to them with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. So all of a sudden they look up. They see Jesus being transfigured in this glorified, amazing way. And then who should appear in somewhat glorified form, I would imagine as well? Elijah of the Old Testament and Moses of the Old Testament. Okay, now we could spend probably two weeks, two hours, two years talking about all the ins and outs biblically of what's going on here. But at the very least, Moses, in the Old Testament, he, he brought the law to us. And Moses represented the law of God. And Elijah one of the most uh, prolific, amazing prophets of God represents the prophets. And so the Old Testament is essentially made up of the law and prophets. And Jesus says that all the law and prophets hang on the commands to love God with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's a summary. Well, here's a living example summary of the Old Testament. Law and prophets showing up at the transfiguration, this glorified special moment with Jesus. And they're having a conversation with Jesus. Now, my goodness, I would have loved to have like read a transcript of that conversation or been close enough to hear the conversation 
in the middle of Jesus being glorified in this way, and then Moses and Elijah are there. Moses had asked to see the glory of God. Do you remember that? He says, oh, I can't show you the full glory because you die. So I'll show you the backside because I guess the backside of God's glory is pretty sweet too. And he puts Moses up in the cliff and covers him until he passes. And oh, oh my goodness, the backside was amazing. That was great. Now I feel like it's almost an invitation. The father's going, wait, Moses, remember when you wanted to see my glory? You got to see the backside. Now see the front side. It's my son. Come take a look. But they're standing there and they're discussing. And we, in Mark's account, don't get to hear what they're discussing. But you look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, Matthew, chapter 17. They're parallel accounts of what's going on here. And we find out what they were discussing. And it turns out what they were discussing was the death of Jesus. What they happened to be talking about, Elijah, Moses, and Jesus was Jesus's departure, Jesus's death on a cross. Now that's big. And I'm not quite sure if the three disciples could hear that conversation going on, but that's the conversation that was taking place. The cross is part of the plan. We know that you're here, the the kingdom looks like it's come, but it's got to get worse before it gets better. Because there's a sin problem that needs to be solved once and for all. And this is the beginning of that fixing. But I got to go to the cross for it. And they're having a conversation about it. The cross is a part of the plan. But friends, family, the cross is not the end of the plan. Even our suffering and hardship that we face, that's not the end. I get sometimes we're in the middle of it and we're going, I don't even know why, I don't understand, I don't want to. And yet, if we come back to who is Jesus really? Well, he's very nature God. And what's he up to down the road? I'm not talking next week or even by the end of my lifetime. I'm talking about big picture, global history. Oh, he's up to something much bigger than just my little world. Man. Well, I love verse five. Then Peter said to Jesus... You know Peter's got to say something. He's Peter. If you're not familiar, Peter was super outspoken, and he was the type to talk first and then think second. That's probably half of you in here, but Peter was that way. Very courageous, very bold, but he, he would just, you know, spout, well, I got to say something. I mean, this is too glorious a moment for me not to be involved in speaking up. And so, wow, here's glorified Jesus. Here is Elijah and Moses showing up. And now he's just like, oh, I, I, I got to say something. I got to do something. I got to. Here's what he says. Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Okay. Let us make three tabernacles. 
One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You know what's going on while this moment was actually taken? The transfiguration takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a Jewish celebration. They celebrated over and over and over and over again to commemorate God's provision for them after the rescue out of Egypt. And they would, they would build these little booths or tabernacles uh, as a part of the celebration, similar to what they kind of had to live in as they're you know, wandering into the, the promised land. Well, now they're like, okay, well, Elijah's here and Moses is here and Jesus, you're glorified. So we're getting that pretty cool picture. Now, oh my goodness, like it's Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe, maybe I should, we should build you something. This is good. This is really good. Looks like the kingdom has fully come now. You're here. So let's just bypass that thing you said about the cross and the thing you said about the suffering. Let's just kind of build camp right here and go for it. Why do we have to have it get worse before it gets better? Let's just leave this how it is. He's just talking then you find out a little bit more why. It says, because he did not know what he should say. That's why he said it. <laughs> you ever do that? Totally, oh, I'm so nervous, I'm so awkward, I'm terrified, it says. They were terrified. Sometimes when I get scared, I just start talking. <laughs> Sometimes when I don't know what to do, I just start filling the air with these words that I... Side note. Sometimes we just need to shut up, <laughs> especially when you're in the presence of the glorified God who's up to something, clearly doing something. Shut your mouth and maybe just worship, learn, or what God directs next. Look at what happens. Verse 7, a cloud appeared overshadowing them. And these Jewish men that were familiar with the Old Testament and the presence of God, the glory of God that shows up in what? All of a sudden, here comes a cloud just after they've seen the radiant face of Jesus. Now what are they? Instant connection. A cloud appeared overshadowing them and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Which echoes the words of Jesus' baptism. See, they've, 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 some of them have seen and experienced some of this. So now they're just, now all the dots are connecting. Oh, oh my goodness. Here's the presence of God overshadowing my son. And then it says, this is my beloved son. Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples knew who he was for real. Because he knew that was going to be an anchor to get them through the rough stuff they were going to go through in the next couple of days, weeks, and then even after the resurrection and ascension. And only their understanding of just who Jesus was was going to make the difference in the midst of their challenging circumstances. Same for me and you. This is my beloved son. And then listen to him. This could probably be the whole thing right here. I mean, if Jesus really is God, shouldn't we listen to him? Why don't we listen to him? It's just, that's not in our sinful nature to listen to him. Or we do, and it goes in one ear and right out the other. Listen to him. Listen to him. 
about what he's said, about who he is. Listen to him about what he said, about the suffering and the cross being necessary. Listen to him about who you are. Listen to him, though, that he's going to rise. Listen to him that this isn't the end of the story. Listen to him that there's stuff way down the road that he's up to. Listen. Listen to him that suffering is a part of the journey. Taking up our cross and following him, denying ourselves, not easy. But if he's God, okay, I'm in because he's God. And I'm in because I see where he's taking it, what he's doing with it way down the future. Man, that's a game changer. Second Peter, I'll just read this one to you. Chapter one. See, Peter, he's one of the three with Jesus right now in this moment. And, and, and Peter, I, I don't think in the moment of the transfiguration is completely understanding everything that he's seeing and experiencing but it's clear that he did later. Because in 2 Peter, look at what he says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 18 says, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, this is going all the way through the scripture. Now we're working our way to the end. And there was something transformative for his guys about the testimony that they saw in the transfiguration. They were like, we saw it. We saw the majesty. We know what it means. There's no mistaking it. And now, First and Second Peter, that have a whole lot to do to encourage Christians in their suffering. It's coming from a guy who knows firsthand about suffering but also coming from a guy that knows firsthand who Jesus really is and what the long-term plan really is. It says, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, a voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. And we have heard his voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Jesus wants his guys to know who he is and know the long-term picture. You fast forward a couple thousand years later, friends, family, brothers, sisters, he wants you to know who he is and be able to stand secure in it. But he also has given us some clues about where this is all headed. In the meantime, there's some challenging and some suffering, some hardship that we face. But what we see here is something that's validated. Three witnesses in Peter, James, and John validating that this is true and double validated by now Moses, Elijah, and the Father. Three more showing up validating that this testimony that Jesus is who he said he was is true. Double validation for me and you. Man, that's, that, that's something for me to cling to. 
Because in a couple of weeks or a month when I'm going through something really difficult, this is now where the weird sort of teaching on the transfiguration comes right down to my day-to-day and my moment-to-moment. Wait a minute, I'm going through something I don't like, I don't want to go through. Maybe it's as a result of following Jesus. I just go back, well, but I know who my Jesus is. And I know the long-term picture. One, the suffering's going to produce some stuff in me that is going to be good for me. But long-term, I know that the suffering ends. Someday it's done. It's done in seasons in your life and my life. But then someday it's going to be done where we're in his presence. See, someday he's going to wrap this whole thing up and the full glory that he has in mind for us, we'll get to see and taste where they were just getting a little bit of a taste right here and right now. And we wrap this up, verse 9 through 13. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. That's verse 8. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept word, uh, this word to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. See, the, the suffering and death is still sinking in for them. Then they began to question him. Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? See, they were familiar with the scriptures. And did you know that the very end of our Old Testament... Malachi chapter 4, the last verses of the Old Testament, right before it goes into 400 years of no new word from God, the last words of Malachi are what they're wondering about and what they've heard taught about. The last words of Malachi 4, uh, verses 5 through 6, 4 through 6 talk about Moses and Elijah, not ironic. And then they predict that before the great and horrible day of the coming of the Lord, that Elijah's going to come back first. And they're familiar with this teaching. And they're wondering, because they're going, wait, wait, Elijah was just here. And Moses was just here. Again, double check. Suffering really necessary? Do we really have to, do you really have to go through this? I thought he was coming back, and I think he just came back, didn't you? It wasn't that him? But they're confusing a, a couple of things. And Jesus explains to them, Elijah does come first and restores everything. He replied, how then is it written about the son of man that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah really has come and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Let me just speed through this. Who preceded the coming of Jesus? John the Baptist. And what was the descriptor of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was described as coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And so in that sense, Elijah had come and ushered in the Lord through John the Baptist. And now John the Baptist, how did things go for John the Baptist? Johnny B. It wasn't good. John the Baptist gets arrested and put in jail. John the Baptist gets beheaded. And so Jesus is saying, hey, what happened to that type of Elijah 
John the Baptist. They did whatever they wanted to him. They're going to do whatever they want to me. But that's part of the plan for right now. However, the long-term plan, the long-term plan is to wipe out sin. It's to wipe out death. It's to bring full restoration and healing. That's the long-term plan. For me, I look at this and I just think, but wait, there's more. When I develop a long look, when I develop this ability, God, give me the ability to look on you, not just five minutes a day, but just make it a regular sort of relational interaction. We're just walking through all day, every day together with a full understanding of who you are. And I develop this long look about what you're up to way down the road. And I see how you're going to resolve all of this stuff. And my goodness, strengthen me. Because then my light and momentary troubles are achieving a glory for me that far outweigh anything else I'm dealing with in this life. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed on every side right now, but I'm not crushed. It's disciple with his guys saying, hey, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The short term can be challenging. Don't forget the long look of what he has in store for me and you. The long look ends in Revelation, and we're done. In Revelation chapter 21, here's the real end of the story, and in some ways the beginning of it for me and you. When the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, listen to the description of the glory of God and the radiance of it. Jesus then carried John away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. This is where it's headed. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal, Skip down to verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the lamb. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Each day its gates will never close because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And then the glory continues to radiate. You look at Revelation 22, halfway through verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his slaves will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The glory that we see in Jesus is going to affect our faces somehow. And in that regard, if, if his glory has already affected you, radiating on you, then let it radiate here and now. We don't need to wait full-blown. I mean, that'll be an experience we just can't attain to yet. But right here and right now, to radiate the glory of God in the face of Jesus, to, to have people be able to see the face of Jesus in your face, 
That's some of his kingdom come now. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. You know who Jesus is. Do you know where he's taking this thing long term? I believe you do. And that should influence today how we can trust Jesus no matter the moment. It was a gift he gave his disciples and it's a gift that he's given us. And so Father, we just thank you for the privilege of your word and your love and your patience, your goodness. Thank you, Father, for just making yourself known who you are, your character. We ask, Father, that you would uh, help us develop this ability to have a long look at you, relate to you day in and day out, and develop a long look down the road. Always be reminding us not just what's going on in our little world this week, but what's going on in your kingdom long term. Help us to that end. The way that it helped the disciples, we know that it can help us. So we lift our voices to you and our hearts to you are open to be encouraged and strengthened. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Restoration Church. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad that you were able to tune in. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. And uh, if you would like to learn more, please go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus.